Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you that um, you remind us of the of a taste of the greatness of your power with events like last night, the incredible storm that passed through here. We see that you are God and you um, are capable of, of um, incredible acts of um, controlling the storms, controlling the weather, and that you also are with us and imminent with us and those that you have protected and those that you are comforting now who have suffered loss. We, we pray for those who have um, who have gone through some, some tough things from last night. We know that you are sovereign and that you display both your power and your mercy in situations like this and we pray for both to be evident in our community. Um, we turn now this morning to another instance of that that you've recorded for us in Acts 12. We pray that you would be with us, that you would display the beauty of your mercy and the, um, the awesomeness of your judgment, and that in, in both uh, you are good, you are holy, and worthy of our thanksgiving and praise. And we, we offer that this morning. We pray that our hearts are spurred on by the Holy Spirit this morning to um, recognize you for who you are and to give you the, the praise that you're due. Be with us in our study. Help our minds to be receptive to your word. Help our hearts to be um, warmed to the beauties of Christ this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are um, in Acts 12. And we're going to go through the, try to go through huh, the whole chapter. Um, last time we were in Acts, uh, we got a glimpse of the church in Antioch, the, the launching place for the mission to the Gentiles. And we've seen kind of a contrast between two churches, one in Jerusalem and then one in Antioch. And uh, Luke swings back here in Acts 12 to his last focused look on the church in Jerusalem. It's mentioned later, but there's no focused narrative in Luke, um, at, or in Acts, after, after chapter 12. So we kind of saw in the, uh, in the persecution of Stephen that the apostles, to a large degree, were left alone. The, the leaders of the Jews were after the Hellenistic Christians, those who had made the argument that uh, God was moving to the Gentiles, and it wasn't just um, a gospel that's focused on, on Jews, but also to the Gentiles, and they didn't they didn't like that. So they stoned Stephen. There was a great persecution, but it seemed to quiet down after the conversion of Saul. That seemed to set them back on their heels that someone like Saul would be, would be converted. But in chapter 12, we see that the situation radically changes when Herod Agrippa assumes rule over Judea. So let's look at chapter 12. We'll start with verses 1 through 5. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, 
And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. It says about this time, what, what was going on? We just concluded some things in chapter 11. What was going on? What was Antioch doing? The last few verses of chapter 11. Do you remember? They were sending relief to Jerusalem, right? There was a kind of famine going on. Um, and so it's about the same time that uh, this offering is being gathered that, uh, that this persecution of Herod kind of breaks out. And I want to give you a little background on historical background on Herod Agrippa. Uh, the timing here, the smart folks tell us, about 42 to 43 A.D. And, you, and Luke uses a vivid description here. He says, laid violent hands on. There's an idea here that the persecution actually was a creeping thing. It started kind of slow. Maybe he, he arrested some lesser, you know, not, those guys not in leadership, kind of maybe arrested them. Uh, maybe he took some stuff, spoiled their lands or whatever, maybe taxed them a little more heavily. <laughs> maybe uh, he removed the exemption from otherwise tax-exempt property on their lands or something along those lines. Who knows? Something was going on. But it culminates in this sudden uh, seizure of James. Why would he do this? Well, Agrippa was the, the grandson of Herod the Great. And his father, uh, Aristobulus, had been executed in 7 BC by his grandfather for fear that he was going to usurp Herod the Great's throne. So after his father's death, Agrippa goes to Rome as a child with his mother, and he is trained and goes to school with the aristocracy in Rome, the, the kids of the aristocracy in Rome, who included such uh, notable figures as, um, as Claudius, who would later become Caesar. So he's got some credibility with the guys in Rome. Uh, after, uh, afterwards, these childhood friendships led to his ruling over a, a, a Jewish kingdom. He started with some territories to the north that were given to him by Caligula. You remember Caligula, that really sane ruler of, uh, of Rome. Uh, but Caligula put him in place over Tyre and Sidon and then some other areas, and then eventually gave him Galilee, kind of the north area there. Finally, uh, Claudius, which, who was a schoolmate of Agrippa, um, gave him rule over Judea and Samaria. So Herod Agrippa was, for all intents and purposes, king of the Jews. He had the whole area. And the curious thing about politics is that you can gain favor, but favor is fickle. And so Roman, Caligula was not a popular emperor. He was kind of crazy, did some crazy things, and yet he had gotten favor under Caligula. So Herod's mindset was gain favor with the Jewish population 
So at least I have a foothold here. If I can keep peace here, I can stay under the radar and not cause any problems for back home in Rome. They won't know. That was the, that was the mode to keep his kingdom intact, to keep his rule intact by currying favor with the Jews so that there wouldn't be an uprising. There wouldn't be, they had to waste more resources and soldiers and other things to conquer Judea again and again and again like they had been having to do. So he's trying to gain favor with the Jews that way. And we know from Josephus that Agrippa did everything he could to curry favor with the Jews. Um, what we're not told by, uh, by Luke or by Josephus is what started this persecution under Agrippa. We, we don't know if there was some kind of preceding event that led to it or, or, or what. But what the Judaizers feared by bringing in uncircumcised Gentiles uh, is coming to pass. I mean, they're, they're being persecuted now under the king to curry favor with the Jews because of, many believe, the, the events that went on in chapter 11, the, the, the bringing in of, of uh, uncircumcised Gentiles. Um, all right. Nevertheless, the persecution begins with the killing of James. Which James? Which Brother James? Jesus. The brother of John, it says, right? So he would be one of the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, do you think there may be a reason why he would choose this particular apostle? Many of the smart guys speculate, and again, the speculation, that James was living up to his name in his preaching. And he was to Herod Agrippa what John the Baptist was to Herod the Great. Right? Uh, that he was very vocal, very passionate, had things to say maybe about the king that may not have been pleasant to the king's ear. Um, apparently uh, Agrippa had, uh, um, and we'll see this later in chapter 12, an, an air, a pride problem maybe. Um, so he takes James and Luke handles this in one verse. Does that seem odd to you? Stephen, we had this long narrative about his murder. James, an apostle, one of the three, we get one sentence, and he's gone. It's not the point of the passage. Now, I, take from that what you will. What strikes me about that is none of us are as important as we think we are. <laughs> The focus here with Luke is on Peter and what happens, what God does for Peter later on uh, in, in, in freeing him from prison. James adds to the narrative as a, a, an emotive, uh, a, drum, a dramatic backdrop to what's going on with Peter. Um, all right. Notice that Luke makes a point to recognize that Agrippa was encouraged by the approval of the Jews. We're not told how they expressed it. I mean, we don't know if they, were, they threw a parade in his honor, or, or, or maybe they sent him nice, kind notes and some flowers. Uh, who knows how they told him that they approved of this, but whatever it is, uh, it encourages his bloodlust. And so uh, Agrippa arrests Peter with the same intent. So here we are. What's the problem? With James, he arrests him, executes him like that. 
What's the problem with the arrest of Peter? Why the delay? Passover. It's Passover. So if you're trying to curry favor with the Jews, what could be problematic? You have competing interests here, right? Execution in Passover would des desecrate their holy days. So let's not complicate matters with their religious fervor. They might like the death of Peter, but they don't like the desecration of the holy days. So it's a fine line you walk when you're trying to curry favor through murder. So there it is. How serious was he about holding him until Passover is over? How serious? What, is, what does Luke tell us? Four squads. Four squads. Some of the smart folks say it's four of four. Four sets of four soldiers. So you've got 16 soldiers who are guarding one man. And they take it in shifts so that they're all alert and doing it. And we learn later that they've got two of them chained to either side of Peter, which makes it difficult to sleep for everybody involved. Uh, and then you've got two guys on the outside. So the, the thought there is that they're guarding the two successive doors to the outside of the prison. So you've got to guard each, each door there. So you got, and then they change out, maybe every four hours or however long their shifts are, so every six hours, who knows. So you have, you have this massive show of restraint for one man. Why? Why such drastic measures with this one fisherman? Isn't he the, the head of the church in Jerusalem? Okay, so he's like the chief spokesman for the church there. Right. Uh, but why the restraint? Why the, why the massive amount? I mean, 16 guards for one guy. Why well, we got that? Do we have a history with Peter that would indicate we need to have more people there than normally you would have? Well, there was a violent tendency of Peter before with Jesus. That's true. But there was something else that happened in Acts. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say also, this is the guy from the organization that these people believe managed to steal a body under the nose. <laughs> there is that. Did, that's, the, that's the statement that's been going around, that they stole the body, and Peter was probably the one that planned the thing. He's apparently a gorilla. Did they already escaped prison one Yes, time they had. The yes, they had. Remember Peter and John, back in chapter 5, were put in prison by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and an angel opened the door, let them out, and they went directly back to preaching right where they were arrested from the, ne the very next morning. That tends to unnerve a political body when people can walk out of your prison without, without harm. So they now have 16 guards rotating to watch over Peter. They, um, all right. So here we have um, a situation where he's guarded. Uh, what do you think he intends to do with Peter, by the way? Just, would you got feeling? Yes, kill him. But he has a, a period of delay here because of the seven days of the days of the feasting, the days of the Passover. He's got a seven-day delay here. James was quick, probably was done privately in the prison, kind of like the way John the Baptist was done, not open out. He's got plans for Peter, though, doesn't he? He knows that Curry's favor with the Jews, so he's going to make it public, right? Um, but there's this delay. Matthew Henry makes this note. What, by the way, what's the church doing during all this? Praying. They're praying. They're using, has it come to that? All we have left is prayer. Well, no, they're using the most effective 
means of uh, help for Peter that, that's at their disposal. They're praying. We forget that often, don't we? Uh, they're praying, and they're praying consistently. And we'll see later on in the chapter, they've been praying for seven days straight. Uh, consistent, earnest prayer for Peter. Matthew Henry makes the point that with James, there wasn't time for prayer. He was arrested, he was executed immediately. But God in His providence meant to deliver Peter, and so He orchestrates it in such a way that there's a time for the church to earnestly pray for Peter. I thought that was an interesting point. That God works through the means of the prayers of His people to deliver Peter and gives them so that they know that it is in response to their prayer. Um, Alright, look at verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, where's Carlos? An angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the, he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Let's stop there for a second. Cool. So he does deliver Peter. What would happen the next day? I mean, leave it to God for the timing to be the most dramatic. What's going to happen the next day? That very night, he's waiting to be delivered to the people, and Herod's going to execute him. It's pretty obvious what's going on. This is the night. If it's going to happen, it's come down to the wire. There is no way out but for the miraculous by God. Right? That very night, with all of that pressure, with all of that hopelessness in the cell, Peter responds very naturally. What is he doing? What's he doing? Sleeping. He's sleeping. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I'd be in the corner with a nosebleed. That would stress me out a little bit, knowing that next morning I'd be brought out to the people who, who chanted for the death of Christ. How? Who am I, right? He's sleeping. Why? Why? How could he sleep? He's not worried at all. He's not worried at all. What, what, on what basis, by what standard, could he not be worried? What, what is he doing? Jesus. Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school. I mean, behold. Behold. I think whatever happens, he knows that God is in control. And if, if they kill him, so be it. He had just seen the death of James. So that's not really beyond the possibility, right? I mean, he knows. And in fact, Jesus had told him, 
when you get older, they're going to take you where you don't want to go, and you, you know, thereby telling him by what manner he would die, right? Maybe this is it. This is going to happen a little sooner. I just got one gray hair. I, don't, I thought I'd live a little longer. And here he is, the knight, before that's supposed to happen, chained to two guards. Now, what's the significance of being chained to two guards? Um, we know from being in close quarters over a weekend that you hear everything, right? People who sleep with a little bit more volume than other people, you know it. How much worse chain to them? If Peter stirs to the left or to the right, he's waking up a guard. Uh, if he gets up to, to try to go to the bathroom, he's waking up a guard. Uh, and then he's got two more on the outside. Very uh, tenuous. He is surrounded on all sides. There is no way out. They've blocked every exit except one. They can't block his access to heaven. And here he is. This angel comes in. And he's sleeping. And I love this because it's one of the few times uh, in the scripture that says the angel comes and there is light in the cell. Now, light when you're sleeping affects different people different way, different ways. It doesn't bother me. Uh, Tammy apparently has photoreceptors in her skin, and there's some kind of way I can be, I can be pillows piled up and a Kindle right here, a Kindle no less, and reading because I have to read before I go. So it's kind of a thing, and she's like, I can feel the light still on. I mean, she. <laughs> apparently Peter doesn't have this problem and neither do the two guards beside him they're all asleep so the angel comes down this dramatic flurry and he's there and there's this light and all this kind of stuff and he's like what are you doing what does he do to get Peter to get up he kicks him in the ribs get up right He's got, to, he's got to physically, which is an interesting thought, he's got to physically move Peter to get him awake. So um, comforted is he by the security that he has in Christ. He's sleeping. Yes? Yeah, it's interesting that this is one of the few times an angel touches someone. Right, someone. right. The only other time I could find was when an angel kills Herod later on in the chapter. Yeah, yeah. So, kind, of, kind of physical on that end, too. It is. Strikes of one to rouse you to safety and the other one to very much destroy. So. Very much so. You're exactly right. A very, a very stark contrast. Uh, and so Peter is, uh, he is, uh, he's struck in the side by this angel. Listen to this. When you read this, what senses are engaged in this scene? What senses are engaged? Well, obviously touch with the Sight. kick in the rib. Sight would be the light, right? What else? Sound. Sound. How so? The angel's voice. Well, the angel's voice. How about before the angel gets there? It's quiet. It's got to be quiet. Any movement is going to stir the guards. So you have this angel come in, and, uh, and he kicks his ribs. And then notice the scene in verses 7 through 10. 
Does the description, do the commands remind you of anything? What does he say? What does he say? Get up quickly. Get up quickly. Okay. What else? Dress yourself and put on your sandals. Put on your sandals. Dress yourself. What else? Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Follow me. Right? You've got the... Child. Yeah. You're going fishing with a four-year-old in the morning. This is what you do. So you have all of these commands. Quickly get up. Quickly get dressed to put on your cloak. Quickly put on your sandals. Follow me. And then what happens? The chains fall off. What else goes on? He gets away from these two guards that are beside him. The gate opens by itself. The gate opens by itself. He gets past the two other guards. It also doesn't say, it doesn't say that any of the guards were asleep. No, no. It doesn't say that. It doesn't. The, the thought is that they're in a deep, I mean, I mean, Peter still thinks he's dreaming, which makes you wonder how vivid are those visions he's having? <laughs> I mean, really? So he's, he was deep in sleep. Maybe that was also going on with the guards. We don't know. It doesn't tell us or, or. Something else is going on there. He's got some kind of invisibility cloak he's given by the angel. I don't know. But he's walking through these guards. And then he gets to the... Harry Potter reference for Sunday morning. Uh, he, he gets to the gate, this iron gate. So getting through guards is one thing. The gate is impassable. So what happens? It opens by itself. It, op it parts by itself. Get up quickly, put on your sandals, chains fall off, gets past the guards, the gate parts. What time of the year is this? Spring. What festival is going on right now? Passover. Passover. What is the imagery here? <coughs> the language that's being used here is that of the Exodus. How ironic. The parting of the gate, parting the it's an impassable get, barrier. Gather yourself quickly, get dressed, put on your sandals. You were in slavery and chains. Exactly. And they left in the midst of their enemies. And they left in the midst of their enemies. Now there was no plundering, I'll grant you that. Other than his own life. <laughs> Not that it says. Not that it says. <laughs> Need some traveling money, here we go. <laughs> we didn't see any of that. But isn't that ironic? That you have here the Jews celebrating their deliverance through the Exodus. And yet God is delivering Peter from the Jews through a very miraculous exodus. And so he goes through this iron gate. All this time, Peter thinks he's dreaming. He is no help at all. I mean, what angel drew the short straw on this assignment? He has got no help from this guy at all. He's just dazed around, drawn... This is a deliverance. This is not an escape. Peter's passive in this. He's being told what to do. He's being led. Everything that's happening is not because of you know, Peter the ninja. He is being led out here. This is a passive deliverance by God for, uh, for Peter. And it's not until verse 11, when he's in an alleyway outside the prison, that Luke tells us Peter came to himself. Right? And he says this, and I love this. Now I know. Now you're sure? <laughs> it takes till now when you're outside in the alley. Now I know. Now I'm sure. 
And the angel leaves. Why would the angel leave then? He's done everything necessary. He's done everything necessary. Matthew Henry makes another good point on this passage. He says, miracles are necessary when ordinary means won't work. <laughs> what are the ordinary means here? Peter's outside the bounds. He can walk through the city. He can get to Mary's house, which is where he's going. Miracles are not to be expected when ordinary means are to be used. Meanwhile, back at Mary's house, verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to, came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy. She did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. <laughs> the economy of words by Luke here is just hilarious to me. But Peter continued knocking. I'm sure it was a little more than knocking. And when they opened... They saw him and were amazed, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So you have now, Peter's been in prison for seven days, and what's the church still doing? Praying. They're still praying. Even though they don't believe that their prayers would be. <laughs> Isn't that odd? Isn't that odd? Well, they'd, they'd just been through James, right? They're expecting Peter to die here, and yet they're praying. Uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, comes to mind. Notice the commitment to prayer. It, this is not just 30 seconds to impulsively fulfill a promise that they make in the hallways of the church or on Facebook. They're, they're praying diligently here. They're given to it, and they still don't believe it when it's answered. So, here's the scene at Mary's door. Peter's there. He's knocking. This servant girl named Rhoda, which is a common name for servants at the time, is a Greek name meaning Rose. Just put, tuck that away. Not that it has anything else to do with the story. I just thought it was interesting. Um, Rose goes to the door, and she recognizes Peter's voice. Now, Rose is familiar with the danger that Peter's probably in, right? What's the danger? Why would it, why would death be the danger here? He could be seen. I'm sure he's knocking as loud as he thinks is appropriate, not to be heard by other people other than those in the house. Hey, you know, you, you can kind of get this visual here. She recognizes his voice, and she's overcome with joy, which is a good response. <laughs> Such that what? What does she do? She leaves him hanging. What she does is she goes back and tells other people, hey, Peter's at the door. Well, that's her job to open the door. That's what she's there for. She's supposed to open the door. But she goes back and, say, hey, goes back and says, hey, Peter's at the door. And then what does she not do? She doesn't open the door. So Peter's out there looking around, looking for guards, waiting for the thing to happen. This is, uh, I don't know... In a, in a bleak scene, this is kind of a comic relief thing that Luke is doing. 
All right. So she recognizes Peter's voice. It's kind of crucial that Peter get inside. That's not going to happen with, with Rose, apparently. <laughs> What's the response to her report to the people inside? What do they say? You're out of your mind, you crazy servant girl. Who's going to believe this young girl anyway? She's kind of crazy. Uh, maybe there's some history there we don't know we're not given. What else do they say? It's his angel. Now, what? What? That's not theologically accurate. Yes. They're hearing the knocking, and yet none of them are either going to go over the door. Right. Right. Just be quiet. Maybe it'll go away. It's Peter. You know, it's this crazy thing going on here. So, it's his angel. Now, there was a Jewish belief at the time that everyone has uh, an angelic doppelganger or something. I don't know. So you see some of this culture kind of creeping in here with the, with the people at, at Mary's house. And they say this after being totally occupied in prayer for seven days for Peter's deliverance. That really makes me feel good. I mean, if these guys could be boneheaded about trusting God in prayer, I thank God for the grace and mercy He gives to me when I don't trust Him even though I pray. Right? But we do it diligently. And so it's a remarkable thing. It was, it was Peter's persistent knocking. Maybe he took some chances with getting a little louder. <laughs> Who knows? That finally compelled them to open the door. And you know, with friends like these, <laughs> it's time to get out of town. Um, he tells them three things in verse 17. Luke tells, uh, tells us that Peter recounts to them what happened in the prison. And then he says a second thing. He says, tell James and the brothers. Now, what James? The brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus. Now, is James the brother of Jesus an apostle, one of the twelve? No. no, he's not. But notice the subtle information we're giving here. The, the Jerusalem church is now being governed by non-apostolic elders. James is kind of the chief guy there in Jerusalem, maybe the head bishop, if you want to use those terms. And then there are other brothers that, that, that uh, a lot of the smart guys say refer to the other elders around Jerusalem, because they had different house churches, and they were kind of monitored by uh, some guys, plurality there. So you have the governance of the church that was given to an increasing, uh, the increasing role of the lay elders doing the governing of the church, while the other apostles are not mentioned here. Maybe they got out of town when, when uh, Peter was arrested. Maybe they thought, hey, now's the time to go. Uh, he's coming after, the, after us, and so we've got to be alive to spread the word and do, the, do what we're supposed to be doing. So maybe they take that as their cue to leave. And then the other thing that Luke gives us here is that Peter takes the cue of the other apostles, apparently, and he gets out of Jerusalem. And Luke doesn't tell us where he went, which I find curious. Maybe it was supposed to be kept under wraps and seeking hiding place that they need to know and they wouldn't get in the wrong hands. I don't know. That's how still works. Don't tell them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that secret knock for next time. Um, but we'll see Peter back in Jerusalem in chapter 15 for the council that they have on the Gentiles. So, verses 18 and 19. Let's look at that. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance. Again, Luke's gift of understatement. There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. He'd been robbed of his prize. Right? 
And there was a custom among the guards that if your prisoner escapes, those who are in charge of his detainment were to be, um, I guess, bear the brunt of what the prisoner would have suffered, the judgment. So if the, guy's, if the guy is to be put to death, you want to make sure that, doesn't, that guy doesn't escape, right? Well, that's what happens here. And so Herod's robbed of his prize, and he puts the guys to death. What is that? That, of course, confirms for us his plans for Peter. We're not just to merely whip him and move him on. All right. Verse 20. Do we have time? Yes, we have a little time. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. In that order. <laughs> That's a tough way to go. Uh, so we go from one dramatic scene to another. God of mercy, God of judgment. Right? The death of Herod most likely occurred... Uh, months or even a year after Peter's escape, but cr the Christians saw this, and, I, and rightly so, as divine retribution for what they had suffered under the king. And although he doesn't mention the dispute with Tyre and Sidon, Josephus gives us a lot more information on this event. It's pretty interesting. Um, apparently, according to Josephus, this, was, this happened during a festival to Caesar, in honor of Caesar. And on the second day of that festival, I'll just, I'll just read you Josephus. On the second day of which uh, shows he put on a garment made wholly of silver and of contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, though not for his good, that he was a god. And they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet we shall henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature. Upon this the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. And then Josephus adds that Agrippa was immediately struck with pain, an abdominal pain. And he was carried to his bed uh, where he died five days later. We're not given more than that by Luke or Josephus. Some have speculated that it was uh, an appendix rupture. Others have speculated tapeworms. Um, I opt for the latter because it's cooler. Uh, but we don't know. And also says he was eating by worms. I think it's textually accurate to say tapeworms is a definite possibility. Invisible angel just punched him right in the gut. Yeah, an invisible angel punched him in the gut. Maybe I don't know. But Luke was 
uh, explicit about that. I mean, Josephus doesn't, he implies that, that, uh, that it was the judgment of God, but Luke was explicit about it, and an angel of the Lord struck him. So that's what we're given in Scripture. Um, we don't know what it was, but we do know that God struck him down, and here's the irony. Displayed his mortality in the midst of the people proclaiming his immortality. Isn't that amazing? The justice of God is, is, uh, is fair. <laughs> All right. So while Agrippa withers, the church and the word of God flourish. It ends this way. Verse 24, But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And here we have the last summary of the church of Jerusalem in Acts. And it ends on a positive note where God continues to bless that community. Verse 25 moves the narrative forward with the return of Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch and they bring along uh, someone that we're introduced to in this passage, John Mark. It was his mother's house, Mary, that they were all in when Peter appeared at the door. And so we'll pick up there in chapter 13 next time. Any, uh, any comments, any questions on this? I, I love this passage. It's a lot of fun. Uh, just the, the irony and the humor that's there, just imagining the scene. But um, again, it's amazing to me that, that throughout all of it, you see the working of God protecting the church. Uh, was God good to James? You better believe it. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. And, and he's fulfilling what he told James. Can you drink this cup? Remember James and John walking with Jesus? Let us drink from the same cup you do. They think it's a thing of honor. Jesus said, you're going to drink from it, all right. He fulfills that with James right there early on. Which James wrote James? James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, the one that's still... Is the, the one that's the head of the Jerusalem church. Yeah, not the apostles. What's that? Middle names, not so much, yeah. The brother of, the son of, you got, you know. Were the, were the Herods Jewish? This Herod, uh, I think, was an Edomite, actually, which is funny because he's trying to... So they were, they were like puppet kings? Pretty much. Appointed from Rome? Pretty much, okay. yeah, yeah. So they weren't necessarily... Herod was kind of a title. Right, right. Not necessarily Jewish, uh, but from the area, you know, right. from the region. So, anyway. All right, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll go to the next service. Father, thank you again for the gift of your word that you encourage us through the display of your power with your saints that... Um, that you are good in the death of James and that you are good in the, in the deliverance of Peter and that you are just in the death of Herod. Father, help us to commit ourselves to you alone, trusting in your sovereignty and your, the working of your hand in all things. That even when circumstances look bleak, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. We thank you that we are um, covered in the robes of Christ, that you love us 
as you love him and are um, again displaying the beauty of that passage the, 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 the prayer of Christ in John 17 I pray Father that we would see each other that way that you would help us to display the beauties of Jesus in our service to one another that we would be diligent in prayer that we would take up the most effective means of bearing one another's burden by praying for each other diligently that we wouldn't just um, do a 30-second one-off to fulfill a, a spurious vow, but that we would have a heart burning before the throne of grace for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would have hearts that burn for the lost, that we would see the Holy Spirit move in their hearts and bring them to repentance and faith in Christ. Make us people of prayer, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. No. Today or next week. Oh, next week. Next week for you.